Welcome to the Adoption Rewritten Podcast with your host, Jamie Weiss and Andy Stanley. Join in as we examine adoption-related books and media and discuss how adoption is portrayed versus the reality of living adopted. I am here with Laura K. Joy today. Hi, Laura. Hi, Jamie. Thanks for having me. Oh, I am so excited. This is the first episode that we will have an author join us to discuss a a book or books that they have written. And so I have really been looking forward to doing this with you. Yeah, thank you. I've been looking forward to it, too. It's always great to talk to another adoptee. All right. Well, Laura is an author of three different books that are adoption related. And the one we're going to focus on today is called self-attunement and adoptee superpower. But before we look at the books that that she has written, I want to have Laura tell us a little bit of, of her background, her story, so that everyone can know where, where she's coming from and, and how she got to writing these books. Yes, yeah, so I'm adopted. Surprise. Um, I was adopted a closed infant adoption, um, domestic same race adoption. Um, I was born in 1979 um, and was always felt like I didn't belong where I was at and um, felt the disconnect by being raised by strangers. And so, you know, teen years, that that um, relationship with my adoptive parents really started to become obligatory um, and societal expectations to maintain that. And when I was uh, in my 20s, I had my son and then I had my daughter and my daughter is what caused me to come out of the fog because I was terrified to have a girl and I didn't know why. And um, that propelled me to my first ever therapy round. And by the grace of the universe, my therapist was knowledgeable about adoption and relinquishment trauma. And that was my coming out of the fog moment. And I say that because that was exactly what happened for me that when I read that phrase 12 years later, it really resonated with me that that's what happened because I didn't know adoption trauma and adoption loss. And I didn't know adoption was causing so many of my issues until that moment. And that moment was uh, transformative and healing for me. And that's part of the self-attunement book and the story. Um, And I thought at that moment, that's when I started to search for my mom, my biological mom and reconnect with her and have reunion with her for now for 14 years. Um, But for the first 12 of those, I felt all alone because I didn't know other people felt that way. I didn't know other people experienced the same feelings and emotions that I had. So I was out of the fog, but I was all alone. And so I didn't know what to do with that. I still didn't know how to manage it and handle it um, because I didn't hear other people talking about it. So Um, Fast forward to 2020, and that's when I found the rest of the community online and really connected and heard other people saying everything I'd been feeling my whole life. And that moment was when I was given the strength by this community to start setting boundaries with my adoptive parents 
and search for my paternal side and start therapy again. And all of that led to more healing and more growth and more um, just more finding more truth, which I think is for me, what was the catalyst to a lot of healing was just truth. So um, since 2020, I have um, written a lot, not just these three books. I've also started my whole story. Um, not sure that that'll ever come out, but um, found reunion with my biological paternal siblings and cousins. Um, I have secondary rejection from my biological father. Um, and I am fully estranged from my adoptive parents. Um, so I kind of have the gamut <laughs> of the experience. Um, I did legally change my name in January of this year back to Laura, which is my birth name. So that's where Laura comes from. And just in September, my mother adopted me back. She reclaimed me back as an adult. So uh, I will get my quote unquote original birth certificate back fully instated um, because of that. So yeah, it's been it's been a journey, but it's all been um, for healing and and growth and 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 it's all come from finding this community and connecting and listening and learning from others. So wow. Well I guess that explains why I can relate so much to the books that you wrote because I also was born in 1979 and you know, adopted in a, a, a same race domestic uh, closed adoption. Uh, also been through reunion and coming out of the fog and all of those things. So that, that explains why they are so relatable. And uh, I'm, I was kind of shocked to hear about the, the birth certificate actually being reinstated because of your mom adopting you back. And so I wasn't sure about the laws when it comes to that, if that if that would happen, but uh, that's really cool. Yeah, and I was born in Indiana and adopted and raised in Indiana, so I don't know outside of the state of Indiana what the rules are, but um, I called a lawyer in Indiana and I said, I would really like, I've changed my name. I would really, and I'm estranged from my adoptive parents, so now I have this amended birth certificate that means nothing to me now and doesn't represent who I want am. And I said, I would really like my original birth certificate reinstated. And he said, well, the, the best thing to do is an adult adoption and have your mom adopt you back, which would then trigger another birth certificate. So it's, it's technically my third birth certificate, but it's really what my original would have been. Okay. I see. Yes. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's, that's quite the story and I can relate to so much. And so uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Yeah, you're welcome. So what led you ultimately to writing these particular books? I know you had said writing came as a part of coming out of the fog and, and therapy and all of the experiences that you've had, but why did you decide to write in the way that you have with these books? Yeah, so... I was, I was working on my, my memoir, my story, and really, I, I think for a lot of people who write memoir, it's um, cathartic to get up and write and get your story out of your body and on paper. So it was really, that's where I started, was trying, once in 2020, once I found 
that I was allowed to say what I was feeling and experiencing, I started writing my story and it just started pouring out of me. And I was working with Anne Heffron and she was listening to me read part of my, you know, the memoir. I'm putting, I'm using air quotes when I say that because it's, <laughs> it's still in the, you know, crappy first draft version, but um, I was reading part of that to her and that was about the hypervigilance book. Um, I had just started restarted therapy with an adoption competent therapist and I was talking to her about a concern and she's like, this is not what worry is, right? Like worry does not control the outcome of things. <laughs> so she's like, I think this is maybe an old coping mechanism for you from from being adopted. And this is hypervigilance. And I just remember going, Oh, my God, are you kidding me? Like, I have been living up here for 40 years, on edge, worrying all the time, for no reason. Because I was in survival mode. So that that therapy experience was my whole body relaxed. All I needed for her was to name it. And I my whole system just regulated. And I thought, okay, I feel good today, but tomorrow I'm going to wake up, it's going to be back. And it wasn't. And the next day it wasn't. And the next day it wasn't. And I literally walked around my house looking for this, right? I'm like, hypervigilance is going to jump back out and latch on to me because <laughs> I'd lost a friend because this, this hum in my brain was gone that had been there forever. And so I had written about that in my memoir and I was reading that to Anne and she started laughing and she's like, you have to make this a children's book. And I said, what? what? Because it was funny, like the me, I'm literally walking around my house looking for this, you know, and I thought, okay, well, let me think about that. So I sat down and, and when you, when you go through that process of here's this big emotional thing that you've been carrying for 40 years, but you try to break it down into children's language, quote unquote, children's language, where it's simplified and it's not it can't be mistaken it can't be misread it can't you can't read into what i'm trying to say right you just try to simplify the message and the language of that experience and that was a, a great exercise for me to break it down and so that's where it started and then I picked up the other two ideas at later. I'm like, well, yeah, then nobody looks like me. That's pretty universal for all of us. Um, and, and then again, breaking that down into simplified language. So that's where the, it started. And I really like, I like simplifying the message for people and, and the language where you, you can't misconstrue this. And when you think of this, from a child's perspective, because we we were babies, we were children when we were living this experience. And just to switch the lens, right, that that you look at it through. So 
Absolutely. And I think it's a brilliant idea. I love the books. I'm curious what age group or age range that you think the books are good for? That's still a, a tricky question for me because I think that adult adoptees can benefit from these books just by having things named for them. Just like my therapist named hypervigilance for me, like what? That's from adoption or it could be from adoption. Like, I think that, I think for me, I wasn't aiming to write children's books. You know, I was, and I really call them illustrated books because they are heavy topics and they can't be given to children to read on their own. So I think that adult adoptees and I think children who have, who are, who are already adopted, who have really attuned, healthy, open-minded adoptive parents, an adoptive parent might be able to help walk a child through these books too. Um, but a, an adoptive parent has to be strong in, in themselves to be able to have these conversations. And I think if you, if you can't do that with or without these books, you shouldn't have adopted anyway. But um, the other way I see these books being helpful is um, from a therapist perspective in that a therapist can help walk you through the book. I, I mean, if you're a, a younger person who, who needs that guidance. So um, I, I can see them also as tools for therapists. So. Um, I've gotten some great feedback from therapists too, who do use them in their practices. So that's, that's sort of my, my whole vision. Yeah, no, I think that that's wonderful. It, I think it could be of good use too. And I'm sure there are many are, are, are therapists as well, but, um, like school counselors, yeah, right. Anybody who's yeah. right, anybody who's versed and trained mm -hmm. and and can recognize the the lived experience of an adoptee and be empathetic to that. Absolutely. Now, apart from adoptees, do you have a vision or hope that these books would also teach non-adopted people? what the adoptee experience is like or help to you know teach or or inform adoptive parents of what their their child is experiencing and maybe even how to talk about that with them yeah absolutely yeah i think i mean adoptees are first and foremost for me um but that they have they have families, they have support systems. And if these books can help those folks in their lives understand their lived experience, absolutely. And for an adoptive parent to be able to read this maybe even before they adopt, um, to get an idea of what our, our experience can be like. Um, yeah, anyone who can help support an adoptee or love an adoptee, and and learn something from these books absolutely yeah what kind of feedback have you received from people 
about the book. Obviously, you're probably not hearing from from children, probably no. the, adult, <laughs> the adult side, the adult adoptees. Uh, no, yeah. I've heard some talk about that and um, maybe from from adoptive parents or, you know, you mentioned therapists and things like that. Mm-hmm. So what, what kind of feedback have you received from them? Overwhelmingly, it's been positive. Um, the adult adoptees who have read them, th- you know, say, thank me for, you know, making them feel seen and books that they wish they'd had when they were younger. Um, I did, I did send all three of the copies of my book, like before I published them, I sent all of them to my therapist and I said, can you, can you just look at these and just see if they're okay? If you think they would be useful, do you feel like there's a place for them? Do you think that they would be helpful? And she was absolutely yes. So, um, I did, I did, I felt good about moving forward with them after, you know, she kind of gave me her seal of approval, her check. And, um, so adult adoptees hundred percent have been supportive of, of them. I've heard from therapists who love, love the books and say they use them in their practice and, um, who've gifted them. Um, the, the, it's really funny to me because, um, I think the self-attunement and the hypervigilance can, those two books, I mean, I think if you're going to look at maybe a harsh angle and adoptive parents, those two are maybe a little more like, ooh, you got to have some, you know, you got to be strong, right? To, To be able to say, my child had another mother and I may not be able to give them everything that they need, right? Like those are, you kind of get, get those two, right? But um, the nobody looks like me, which is a pretty universal experience for adoptees and a pretty outwardly visible, um, I guess, I don't want I should have used a different word, but visual for other people to know, like, you have an adopted child, like they, they don't look like you, right? But that book is the one that has gotten a couple of negative reviews on Amazon. So it's like, I don't understand why that one for, for some reason is more difficult to, um, I guess, digest for adoptive parents. Because I feel like when I read those uh, negative comments, like they are coming from non-adopted people and they're coming maybe from an adoptive parent. And uh it doesn't bother me because I think now you're thinking about this, even if it might have ticked you off a little bit and you didn't like it, but now you're thinking about it. And I that makes me happy that like I don't I'm not I'm not concerned if I if I upset some adoptive parents with the truth. Right. And I wonder it's very interesting that that one would garner more negative attention, but I wonder if that has to do with the, you know, popularity of now, now this wasn't when we were, when we were adopted, but now it's, it's, you know, families don't have to match. Um, Love is what makes a family, not DNA. Um, I don't know more. There's more of a celebration in, in, in some ways, I believe that's a good thing in some ways and a bad thing, um, but more of a celebration of families that are consistent of different 
you know, looks, different skin tones. I mean, whatever it may be that mm-hmm. a family may have several different members that mm-hmm. look very different from each other for whatever uh, reason that is and celebrating those differences. But I do wonder if somehow, somehow that this book by like, te- by, by highlighting the fact that it, the adoptee looks different, they see as a negative thing because they have only heard or, or tried to speak about it in a celebratory way. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, absolutely. It does. But it, you can still celebrate the difference, but we spend a lot of time as an adoptee who doesn't know what our family, our birth family looks like, wondering what they look like. And so our experience is still looking at strangers walking down the street. It's still looking, um, running into, you know, people in the airport, wherever you are, you're, you're, you're looking for someone who has the same eyes or nose or mouth as you. And, you know, the book goes from not looking like adoptive family to finding biological family through DNA testing and the healing that that provides, just seeing a photo of someone who looks like you or, you know, getting to, to if they're open to it, meeting them and, and comparing fingers and hands and, and feet and noses and eyes. I mean, the, the healing that that gave me was um, Im- immeasurable. And so, yeah, we can celebrate differences and we can celebrate looking, you know, not looking like each other, but boy, knowing who you look like is super important. And, and, and that for some reason seems to be a slightly threatening thing to adopt yeah. families at times. Mm-hmm. Um, sadly. Yeah. Um, but it, you know, it doesn't even have to be about reunion either. No. It, you know, having our own children. Yeah. I mean, my my oldest is the first person that I laid eyes on that I was related to. And right, for, me too. You know, people to tell me that she she looks like me. I, I don't think non-adopted people maybe they do but I just don't think they could possibly have the the joy that I have from being told that she looks like me you know it's not because I think that I'm you know that beautiful or or good looking that uh you know I want her to have my looks but it's just like you finally share looks with somebody is just this amazing thing and I remember too even in reunion, uh, seeing, seeing my mom for the first Mm -hmm. time. And I was, I was so disappointed because I don't look anything like her at all. I mean, just don't look anything like her. And so all of my life, as I'm trying to create this, you know, fantasy mom in my head of what she may look like, obviously I'm picturing someone that looks sort of like me. Yeah. Right. Degree, at least. And, um, and I just don't, well, I mean, technically 
it's like from the waist down, I look like her. <laughs> you know, from the waist up, I look at my dad, but you know, you're typically looking at more the face. face yeah. Yeah. Comparing who looks like somebody. And so then the first time that I met my dad, I had seen a couple of pictures and I, I didn't see a resemblance there either. And I, I really was kind of dumbfounded and, and again, just disappointed thinking, who the heck do I look like? Like, what, mm-hmm. how does this happen? How do you just like not look like anybody? But, um, but the first time that we met in person, it's just dead stop staring at him. Oh my gosh, I do look like you. It's just amazing. And I, I still, I have known my dad for a little over five years at this point, And I still, I still can't get over how much that we look alike uh even actually our not just looks but our mannerisms and actions that are the song the same so it's looking like somebody acting like somebody seeing those traits that flow through families it's incredibly incredibly powerful it's really yeah. it. it really really is that was my experience too my 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 experience mirrored yours 100 percent. so yeah. Well, um, so, so the, the first book that you wrote was goodbye hypervigilance. So was that 2020? Is that what you said? Yep. That was 2020. And then it was the nobody looks like me. Mm-hmm. And the latest book is self attunement mm-hmm. adoptee superpower. Mm-hmm. So no, I'm sorry. Let me correct you. I'm sorry. I, I misremembered the, the hypervigilance books came out in May, I think of 21. Okay. And then the, um, the nobody looks like me was in the summer of 21 and then self attunement was just August of 22. Yeah. So, so the latest one, self attunement and adoptee superpower just wanted to take a, take a little look at that. And, Mm -hmm. um, it, it has an adorable cover and, adorable illustrations inside. Do you want to tell us a little bit about the illustrator, Laura Foote? Yeah. So, uh, she's amazing. She nailed the, the illustrations first time around for all three books. Um, and again, Anne Heffron connected us. She said, I think she would be amazing to illustrate these books. And, she and I connected right away and she's not adopted, but I consider her an ally. And what she said about these, when I sent her the copy for the books, she said, these are so important. And I would be you know, honored to be a part of the project to bring these to life because they are, the messages are so important. And she shared with me that after they've come out, she shared them with other people who aren't adopted as well. And they have said, wow, like this is, this is really like, I didn't know this and Mm -hmm. this is really important. So, um, I just, I love the simplicity of her drawings. Like when I was visualizing the drawings to go with the words, I was thinking, you know, stick figure kind of things. And I can't even draw that. So I needed someone to do something. And she just, she just knocked it out of the park and, um, they're whimsical and she just got them right the first time. We did not have to go through versions and versions and versions of these, of these pictures. So 
she just got it. Yeah, they they really are perfect. Like you said, they are. I love the simplicity and um, the the whimsy. They're just perfectly go along with the story. It it can be appealing to I think a wide age range too because it could appeal to children since it's it's an illustration and it is simple, but also that simplicity, I believe, would allow adults like myself that are looking at it to enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So in this book, we're, we're talking about, um, Sarah, how did you come up with that name? I just pulled it out of the air. I just wanted a simple name that I didn't have any attachment to or negative connotation about, you know, or it wasn't a person I knew that I was, you know, I I just wanted to have simple and no connection. Okay. So Sarah's our adoptee and, uh, she is, you know, thinking through some of, of, of her life and, and what happens with babies when they're born and their connection to their mothers and such. And, and also, you know, relaying some of her story about being adopted by strangers and not, not, you know, recognizing them and, and just not being, uh, them being able to be attuned to each other, right? Uh, because they don't have those biological biological connections. And uh, so then where I, I want to read this little section that, that I really could relate to, uh, it says, there is no replacement for a biological mother. The people who raised Sarah did not know her. And of course here, there's a little, illustration of Sarah and her adoptive mom and she's saying I want that but her adoptive mom saying like no you want this and so they're just you know not quite on the same page or that's how I interpret that yeah uh then it goes on to uh show Sarah as a uh, kind of just confused girl thinking about all of her feelings and emotions so it says Sarah was so confused her feelings and emotions were always dismissed These miscues left Sarah feeling like she was not known or seen. Sarah could not communicate the loneliness or confusion to her adoptive parents. She did not have the language to express her feelings. She was afraid that saying something would upset them. As Sarah grew older, she realized the difference between what she needed and what she received from her adoptive parents. So that page really spoke to me because that was my experience. We we did not we did not talk about adoption in my house growing up. So there was definitely not any language that I was given as a child to help talk about my experience or my feelings. Feelings weren't really a thing we talked about either. (laughs) Um, My parents were a little older and from that generation where you don't particularly talk about your feelings to other people, or uh, dwell on those things. When it came to adoption, it was it was essentially a we don't, we're not going to really talk about it. You're just going to pretend like you were born to us, you know. And that's that's actually literally the the legal language that's used in adoption is that once we are adopted, we are supposed to be as born unto this family. Mm-hmm. But yet we're just not. It's just not the same. Just and so, 
you know, where she says like she, she couldn't communicate the loneliness or, or confusion to her adoptive parents. So that was definitely me. Right. And that's where like you, you didn't feel safe, right? You didn't feel like you probably also like part of that passage is too, like, I didn't have the language mm -hmm. to name what I was feeling. I mean, maybe I did a little bit, but um, I knew if I said anything, it would be upsetting. Right. And disloyal. And I was not supposed to, you know, upset that. And, and the problem is, is that's not only as a child, while we're growing up and living in the, their home, right? That continues on as long as we are in a relationship with our adoptive family. Yep. So, I mean, I'm, I still experience that currently where I can't say or do certain things because I know it's going to be upsetting. As, as, as far as we have come, my, my adoptive mom and I have come a long way in that realm, but Unfortunately, we can have a conversation to where I'm thinking, okay, it's finally my time to be not a hundred percent honest, but at least talk about this with her a little bit. And next thing you know, it just blows back at me when I thought it was safe to discuss it. Right. I'm so sorry because I have had that experience too. And that was part of my, there, there were lots of reasons for my estrangement, but that's one of them. And it wasn't just things that would come back at me about adoption, but everything, you know, that like, that's why I, that was part of the drive for me to separate because I needed, I needed the space and I needed um, the time, especially when I was like starting therapy again in 2020, I needed the space and the time to figure out who I was authentically and who, what my truth was. And I couldn't do that in relationship with them. Mm -hmm. And so the estrangement gave me the space to, to keep, keep growing and keep finding that truth. It's very difficult. It is. It's very difficult. All right. So that was, that was my favorite uh, section, or at least the part that I you know, felt mirrored a lot of my experience. Do you have a favorite part or, um, or a portion of this book you'd, you'd like to share? Well, I'll, I'm gonna, I'll read the part about the therapist and then I'll talk to then the experiences maybe later in, in that. You know, we've we've seen Sarah not being attuned or mirrored or um, what she needs or wants being honored. Um, and when you live 40 years like that, that takes a toll. And so I there's a scene in here, and this is really what happened with my therapist. Um, Sarah told her therapist, I do not feel taken care of and I have never felt known. Her therapist explained the connection between a newborn baby and their biological mother. The connection and bond are broken when a baby is taken from their biological mother. 
When adoptees grow up, they can put language to these feelings, but cannot go back in time and get the foundation of attunement they needed from their biological mothers. Luckily, adoptees have a special power to heal themselves and they can reparent their younger parts. And that's where the self-attunement comes from. And that's what we get to do. It's hard work. I'm tired of reparenting myself. And I, I said to my therapist multiple times, and she probably got tired of hearing it, but I kept saying, I don't want to reparent myself. I want someone to take care of me. Like I've never felt before. And I'm just tired. I mean, I just kept saying I'm tired a lot in therapy <laughs> because so much emotional work, so much energy. But like you were saying of your experience as a child, and, and I, you tell me if, if, if you did this for yourself or not, but this is how I coped with the lack of attunement when I was younger was I sort of bide my I bided my time until I got out of their house. And I made mental notes about how to be the opposite of what they were to me. Like I, they did not parent me the way I needed. And I made notes about how to be the opposite. And as you were talking, I thought it wasn't always about being the opposite. It was just, I knew what I needed and I wasn't getting it. So I'm going to give that to my own kids, right? If, if I ever have kids someday, I'm going to do things differently. And this is how I'm going to do it. And, and I, and part of the reparenting has come from my own kids, having my own kids and getting to fix things in me by doing it differently with them. So I don't know if that resonates for you too, but it does. It does. I, my parents were, they were wonderful parents, but there were certainly things that they weren't prepared for, for having an adoptee, or maybe it was just, they weren't attuned to what I needed because we were different emotionally. I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. For right. Sure. So I do, I do hope when, at least from my case, my opinion that, you know, I hope people will not hear, even when I say that I, there's so many things that I would do differently. Like I just parent my children differently. I hope what they, they, they're not hearing. I think my parents did a bad job, of mm -hmm. just being a parent in general, but that there just wasn't that attunement yeah, to what we needed. And, and I know, you know, a lot, a lot of pushback that we get when we talk about issues of, of being adopted is, well, other kids deal with that stuff too, or other people deal with that stuff too. And sure. I mean, you know, my husband's not adopted and I know there's certainly things that he wants to parent his children differently than how his parents parented him and that, that sort of thing. And, and that goes for, I'd say a lot of people, we see things that we hope to change, but like with most stuff, I feel like it just, it just kind of hits differently for adoptees that it's just a different level. I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, I do remember seeing other friends say with their parents who were biological to them. And just, I always felt like there was something there that they had that 
I could never have with my parents. A hundred percent. I, a hundred percent. I watched, I looked at other families and how they interacted. And I thought, I really want that, but I'm never going to have that. Right. It boils down to like, if I put it into one sentence, it matters that we were raised by strangers. Mm -hmm. They're genetic, biologically different people than us. They are strangers to us genetically and it matters. And we're told our whole life that it doesn't matter. That's right. That's like where the big problem comes in. We're just told it it doesn't matter at all. Yeah, no, it mattered to me. Mm -hmm. Right. And then you go on in the book too, to talk about where, you know, Sarah ends up finding other adoptees Mm. are talking Mm -hmm. about their experience and their questions. And so that shows her, you know, like she's not alone or she's allowed to have these questions or actually, you know, even able to start just thinking in that realm of like, oh, you know, this, this is a different life. I I Mm -hmm. didn't have the same life as my friends or those that are, that are Mm non-adopted. It's validating. Right. And, and I think the point of that part of the book is that we mirror each other like no one else can mirror us mm-hmm. as, as supportive and empathetic as our friends or family or husbands, spouses, whatever can be, they still aren't adopted. They still didn't live this experience. And those of us who did have a very unique um, connection and that, you know, there's things that we, we understand each other without a lot of words. And that experience is so validating. And that's why, I mean, I love this community and I want to keep, I want to encourage other people to start connecting and, and keep connecting in it because it, it's, it's healing in and of itself just to, to meet and understand other people with this, a similar lived experience. Well, I don't know if you plan to write more books, but maybe your next book could be called Validation. (laughs) (laughs) Actually, I don't have any, I don't have another plan. Um, These were, these were it. Uh, But if, if I'll, I'll I'll sit on that and I'll think about it if something comes to me, but (laughs) yeah, for now, these are the three, um, three illustrated books. And like I said, the memoir is kind of there, but it's not there. (laughs) We'll see if that ever comes out, but. I highly recommend everyone to check out these books, uh, but especially adult adoptees, I I think can benefit from it themselves, especially those adoptive parents and therapists who are are looking to better understand or better uh, facilitate those discussions about adoption and feelings uh, with the, the children they're working with. Thank you. If you can see something in your experience from these books and it helps you on your healing journey, that's my goal. Thank you for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to share with a friend or leave us a rating to help others find us. Do you have a book or other media you would like for us to discuss? Drop us a note to adoptionrewritten at gmail.com. We can't wait to share more with you in the coming episodes. See you soon.